Many people find religion dull and boring. How do you develop a passion for spirituality? Welcome to the Transformative Duff. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 76 of Tractate Silvus, and we learn that to feel energized and alive about anything, you need to invest in it, whether that's God, our spouse, or our children. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my Chavarissa today. I like to begin with a story. Obeying the word of his mother, our patriarch Yaakov has just usurped the family blessings from his brother Esau. Fearing for the life of her younger son, Rivka sends him to find a wife in her birthplace of Aram. Despite the urgency of the journey, Yaakov does not depart empty-handed. Yitzchak and Rivka prepare camel loads of gifts for Yaakov to take to the family. Those goods, however, are not destined to make their way to Aram. No sooner has Yaakov hit the road than Esau's son Eliphaz catches up with him in hot pursuit under strict instructions from his father not to return until he has murdered his uncle Yaakov. Eliphaz reaches his uncle but cannot bring himself to kill his own flesh and blood. What shall I do, asks Eliphaz, if I return without having fulfilled my father's bidding? He may very well kill me. Here's what I suggest, Yaakov replies. Take all of my possessions away from me. I shall then be destitute, and one who is poverty-stricken is considered as good as dead. That way you will be able to tell my brother that you have killed me. Eliphaz heeds the words of his uncle, leaving Yaakov penniless as he continues his sojourn toward Aram. Let's look at today's Gemara. If a needle that is found in the thick wall of a slaughtered animal's second stomach has pierced the stomach from only one side, the animal is kosher. If the stomach is pierced from both sides, it is treif. If a drop of congealed blood is found on top of the needle, it is certain that the perforation was created before the slaughtering of the animal and is therefore treif. If no drop of blood is found on it, it is certain that it occurred after the slaughtering. If a scab appeared over the wound, it is clear that the puncture happened three days before the slaughtering. If a scab did not appear over the wound, the burden of proof rests upon the claimant. And therefore, if the butcher had already given the money, he needs to bring proof in order to reclaim his money. If the butcher had not already given the money, the owner of the animal must bring proof, and only then can he take his money. But why? The uncertainty was formed in the butcher's possession. Because the butcher had already given the money. But why is that so clear-cut? Because generally speaking, so long as a person has not yet given the money, a person will not grant the animal the chayusa. Let's analyze today's Gemara. Following the shechting of an animal, the shochet must inspect the animal's internal organs for any injuries or blemishes. In order for an animal to be kosher, it's not sufficient that it was properly shechted, but it must also have been a healthy, viable animal. If it was sick and fated to die within a year, it's not kosher, despite the shechita. If you've ever wondered why you couldn't find that needle in the haystack, any shochet will know from halacha that it was swallowed by the cow. The Gemara states that if the needle was found lodged in one side of the stomach, it would not render the animal treif. While we colloquially use the word treif to refer to any non-kosher food item, strictly speaking, this is the technically correct usage. It refers to an animal that was shechted properly, but afterwards found to be non-viable. The needle in the stomach wall might be uncomfortable, but it would not be life-threatening. If, however, the needle has caused a puncture all the way through the wall of the stomach, the animal is treif. What do we do when a butcher purchases an animal, and then a few days later he shechts it, only to find that the animal is treif? He wants a refund for having purchased a faulty product. 
but for his part, the cattle breeder is claiming that it's been a couple of days and the damage could very well have taken place after the sale. At the time of the sale, the animal was completely healthy, he contends. The Gemara answers with the classic Talmudic principle that whoever is holding the money has the upper hand. If the other party is attempting to extract the money, the burden of proof is on the claimant. And so if the butcher had not yet paid, the original owner would have to provide proof to claim the money owed to him. The Gemara then counters with the principle of doubt. When did the doubt as to the animal's viability arise? In the domain of the butcher when he cut open the animal to inspect it. At the time of the animal's transfer, there was no doubt. Therefore, he should still be liable to pay the breeder. The Gemara answers that the butcher here has already paid the money, thus giving the breeder the upper hand. How do we know that the money has already been paid? Because that's how the marketplace works. You don't receive the merchandise until you pay. The Gemara uses an interesting phraseology for this idea. So long as a person has not yet given the money, a person will not grant the chayusa. Giving the money results in getting the chayusa. Chayusa means animal, but it comes from the word for life. If you want to get the chayusa, the life and energy, you need to give the money. You need to be prepared to make the investment. There's a peculiar connection between life and money. The word damim has two meanings, translating both as money and bloods. Explaining the relationship, Rabbi Chaim ben Betzalel, the brother of the Maharal, writes that just like blood is the life force, similarly a person lives by money, and the one who is poverty-stricken is considered as dead. Often in life, the key to becoming excited and alive about something is investment. The more we invest, the more we become passionate about it. That's the basis of the Korbanas, the holy temple sacrifices. God doesn't need our animals, he doesn't eat. The word korban actually translates as gift, and the original meaning of sacrifice was a sacred gift. It's only in recent centuries that the word in English became associated with the idea of an exchange, for obvious non-Jewish reasons. Truthfully, the meaning is a gift for God. While he, of course, doesn't require our gifts, he instructed us to invest in our spiritual service, thereby deepening our commitment to him. Many people wonder why they're not excited and passionate about their Judaism. It's because they've not invested the time, money, and effort. You want chayusa, life and energy in your Judaism? You need to invest in it. You want to be excited about learning Torah? It doesn't come naturally. It takes an investment of time and effort into figuring it all out. And it takes serious investment into our children's Jewish education. You want to enjoy davening? It takes an investment of time and effort into understanding what you're saying and staying focused on your relationship with heaven. Adoption of a child is probably the greatest example of an investment that produces a tangible relationship. This has real halakhic consequences. Generally, it's forbidden to be alone with someone who is not your parent, spouse, or child of the other gender. Likewise, hugging and kissing are prohibited. But what about adopted children? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was asked the question and ruled that being alone with and hugging and kissing an adopted child is permissible. Explained Rav Moshe, when a child is adopted at a young age, one develops a true parent-child relationship, and the assumption is that a parent would never act inappropriately with their child. Just like a biological parent is permitted to be alone with a child, so too an adopted parent may generally be alone with their child. Adopted parents become just like biological parents because they've invested time, money, and effort into their children, developing a natural relationship with them. 
Of course, the greatest example of a non-biological relationship that has the potential to become natural is marriage. A person's spouse is not related to them by birth, and yet they can love each other. How does that happen? When they invest in one another. The more a person gives to another, the more chayusa he has for that individual. Judaism doesn't believe in love at first sight. There might be lust at first sight, but love takes investment. Time, money, effort, emotional investment, and slowly but surely the love is developed, and husband and wife become one life. You want life, passion, energy? You need to invest. Whether it's your familial relationships or your relationship with your father in heaven, the more time, money, and effort that you invest into the relationship, the greater the jubilation and oneness you will feel. May you develop chayusa in your physical and spiritual life, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Duff Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Duff Yomi global movement, there's something in the Transformative Duff for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Duff with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf.